victory to the Australians by eight wickets. He's done it! Fizzle is away um, at work, so he's left the inmates in charge of the asylum. Chief inmate, Kiptastic Reporting, will be your host for this evening. Yep, and I'm Cookson, and well, what could possibly go wrong? And I'm Tors, the only batsman going worse than Jonathan Trott. Ooh. <laughs> well, I, there's been enough snuff said, to be honest, about Jonathan Trott. I don't really want to go into it. But it's been sort of, sort of been a weird week. You'd think that it, pretty much as soon as the test match finished, there was a little bit of celebration in the media about how, you know, we, we'd won, but the whole Jonathan Trott issue and the sledging issue really is just this week sort of gone by without, you know, too much, too much fanfare. I mean, I thought there'd be much more celebratory um, you know, jingoism in the papers and in the media about how the Ashes are coming back and all that, you know, the sort of preemptive things that bite you in the ass um, a few weeks down the road when England pull their act together. But it just hasn't been that intense to build up until, even yeah. until now. I suppose that there was probably in the first day or so after the test finished, but I think there's such a long break between... Between games, England have gone off to Alice Springs to play that um, Chairman's Eleven game. It died, has died down a bit. People sort of thinking more about Shield cricket that's on during the week. But you're right; it probably hasn't been as huge a fanfare. Maybe we're just caught being cautious that we don't get too far ahead of ourselves. Because I mean, we could easily lose the next one, and it's back to um, level playing field. Yep. So probably could Cricket Australia probably just said, "Everyone, just keep the lid on it. Let's just relax." <laughs> As soon as we win, then we go nuts. Yeah. Lid status is shaking. It's it's unlike Essendon in the pre-season, early season, where as soon as they get a win against a you know, middle-of-the-range team, the lid is shot into the stratosphere before it comes crushing down with our inevitable uh, late-season fadeaways. Um, but going into the Adelaide game, the whole Jonathan Trott issue, um, there's been so much comment about it, and probably the best article I read on the Jonathan Trott issue was about how it's really not time to be making judgments about how, either how brave he is or how weak he is for what's happened, because we just don't know what's going through Jonathan Trott's head. And we won't know until he chooses to talk about it, which may never happen. So it's really, it's almost not worth discussing in the first place. And yet so much has been, um, so much column space and um, air airplay has been given to it that, it, as we said, it's really just dominated the build-up to this test match. All I know is that, well, when you see Bat, I believed he had kind of a OCD issue with how he does things, but I reckon the way we've worked him out throughout these throughout the Ashes series has probably really compounded the issue of his mentality. So again, it's a shame, but well, England England's got to get a new batsman in, and Australia's just got to plan for the next one. Like it's bad, but life goes on. Really, as sad as it sounds. It's hard to know how much to, you know, judge because it could have been ongoing for years. He seems like the sort of guy who's very much a perfectionist in the way he bats and there hasn't been too many times in his career so far where he's been this bad out of form where he's just finding ways to get himself out. So maybe he thinks he's better off the te- uh, better for the team if he just sort of sacrifices his um, Ashes campaign, I suppose, yeah. and put someone else in there who's 
more confident, I suppose. Yeah. I'm just going to raise an issue here. Like, does anyone think that the way Andy Flower and how England managed him, you know, being too conservative, too boring, like, there just doesn't seem to be a lot of fun in the dressing room when you compare to us. Like, you look at the Australian cricketers, like, despite all the crap that's been on between Clark and Watson and Clark and God knows who and people and other people, just we just appear to be a more relaxed team enjoying our cricket compared to England who appear to be, well, they're just tense and nervy and dull. So Well... So you can't necessarily say that, you know, it's after one test. If you win, a winning team's a happy team, and England will win during the summer, so it probably papered over some of those cracks. But the England camp seems to be a very tightly run and tightly organised camp. I mean, they had an 82-page menu about what you can and can't eat. I mean, that, that just suggests that, yes, they're very committed to getting the best out of their players, but sometimes that environment can put so much pressure and stress on the player that they've got no escape. And for some players, their escape would be out in the middle playing cricket, and when that fails for them, in the case of a Jonathan Trott, that can lead to adverse side effects because they've got no no place to release to have a little bit of fun. Nicely played. That could well be four more. Trott on the back foot. A beautiful onside player. That was Gordon Greenwich. Oh, that's four. Yes, he's uh, got it away. I think he uh, probably wanted to let that one go, but uh, he had a little... Flirt at it and uh, it went all the way along the ground. Well, that is a beautiful full shot. Gee, he's been playing them. So, with Australia the naming the same 12 for the Adelaide Test, the biggest mystery for us going into this uh, Test match is how the pitch will play. Adelaide Oval has gone un- under extensive redevelopment over the last year. Uh, they're now using drop in pitches. We've seen with something like the MCG, how that changes the condition of the pitch and the nature of how the ground plays. The Adelaide Oval has been known as a, you know, a very bathroom-friendly pitch with some spin coming into play towards the end of the day, or towards the end of the test. How do we think that's going to play? Is it going to be any different? Is the shield results going to be indicative of that? Or do we think there may be something special planned, especially after what happened to the Gabba? There'll probably be something special planned, because they they drag someone from the Wacker Rover or something like that. That's what I've read somewhere. So they're probably planning it so it has more more pace, more bounce. It's a harder pitch that won't break up, so we're nullifying Swan and we're trying to nullify reverse swing. So it's going to be either flat as attack with no assistance to the bowlers or it's going to be a slightly bouncy, faster pitch that will help us and not help the English. I mean... Talking about the pitches is interesting because, I mean, there's always there's been that stereotype with all the pitches. The whack is fast and bouncy. Um, the SCG's conducive to spin. Adelaide's flat, so on, so on. I think the Gabba's um, seems round or whatever. But I reckon that sort of, yeah, that sort of thing has fallen away in the past, uh, the past few years where the pitches have been more similar. That They've lost their unique characteristics. So whether or not Adelaide plays like we all expect it to, um, I have a feeling it might be a bit more lively than than uh, previous years. If it, if it does play that way, though, it probably benefits England, I would say, just because their batsmen seem to be a bit more classy. Um, and Australia's batsmen, despite you know the, the good second innings performance, still seem to be conducive to getting out to silly shots, which on a flat pitch 
can be a big deal when you've, you're facing a team with a lot of quality batsmen. You know, Cook can bat for a long time. Bell can bat for a long time. Peterson's shown a very um, good form. and I think he scored centuries both Adelaide tests that he's played in. I can't quite recall, but that seems about right. Um, it's probably going to be better for Root, so they're going to have as much bounce, so he'll be able to um, just relax a little bit more. Um, and even, even someone like Pryor may help him, although... To be fair, you know, he didn't exactly get out to pace and bounce, you know, fast pace and bounce in Brisbane. So just looking at it, it probably will give the English a little bit more of a, um, not, not necessarily advantage, but they'll be more, more comfortable. And we even saw um, in 06, 07, when they were blasted away at Brisbane for the first four days at Adelaide, they were much more comfortable. Okay, And yes, they collapsed to Shane Warne and, that pretty much sealed the Ashes series for Australia. But the similar, from the way I see it, if the pitch plays the same, a similar thing could occur. But Australia doesn't have Shane Warne this time to win the test match on the last day. But the thing about Adelaide is also for us is that uh, Michael Clark averages most there than any other ground in Australia, so that's bad news for the English. And yeah, and also from last year, how well we scored 480 on the first day against. Let's be honest. Well, probably a more superior attack you could judge with. Was it Stain, Stain, Morkel, and I think some other battle? Philander. Yeah. Philander. No, Philander was injured, wasn't he? They had yeah. Five Elt and Imran Tahir, who yeah. couldn't land the ball. So. <laughs> I mean, Tahir doesn't count. Tahir's probably. Well, he's crap, but still, let's we could probably score runs there. I'm not suggesting 480 is going to happen again, but. There's still a chance that if Warner gets in and on the ground as small as Adelaide, but we could get off to a flyer. We could probably make the argument that this England attack is better on paper than that uh, South African attack turned out to be uh, on that Adelaide test because, well, you, you did have Stain and you know he's probably the best, he's the best bowler in the world, but it's not really the sort of pitch that would benefit Morkel and well, Rory Kleinfeld's called Pivelt for a reason. And obviously, Imran to here couldn't couldn't land a ball, so this this um I doubt we'll be able to score as quickly as we did in that South Africa match. Oh, and Warner goes down the ground, all the way again. Warner and Michael Clark plundered 99 from the first 10 overs, including Warner's hundred from just 93 balls faced. Oh, superb batting from David Warner. The crowd are up. That's an excellent hundred. Clark was keeping pace. Well, that'll be 50 for Michael Clark, uh, and that will be boundary number 11. Not long after their 150 partnership, Warner fell for 119. Spread. There's an edge, and a wicket finally for South Africa. They get something. They get something moving their way, and it's the dangerous Warner. With solid support from Michael Hussey, Clark brought up his century in the shadows of T. It's a beautiful late cut by the Australian captain who will run away for four. His 21st Test 100. The Proteas lost another bowler, Dale Stain, as the tempo lifted and the milestones ticked over in the final session. There was Hussey's 50, Clark's 150, the team's 400, the 200 partnership, then Clark's 200. He works it. Michael Clark goes into the history books. Four scores of 200 or more in a test match in 2012. I mean, if Harris isn't struggling with an injury 
to the point where he can't play, I think he should play because yeah. what's the point of saving him for the rest of the series if we lose this game because he hasn't played? And then we're on the back foot and you bring him back in. Why not try and go for the kill now, go into the, the Wacker test, yeah. keep him playing then, and then if we're 3-0 up, then rest him for the last two games. That's We've got to try and get the win as soon as possible and not let the series drag out. It's not like the Wackers, some, impen- some impenetrable fortress that we never lose at. It's not, it's not the Gabba. It, you know, we have, we have lost in the past there. Um, recently against the Indians, not last time they were out, but 07-08 when we were coming off Sydney. Um, India outbowled us there. So anything's possible. I mean, the English bowlers are... Uh, quality bowlers, particularly um, Broad and Anderson, and they could just they could do just as well on the wacker pitch as any Australian bowler. So I, I agree, Harris needs to play, and it's so I wouldn't make any changes to it. I mean, the only realistic change I can see happening to our Test team this series is either Bailey going out for either, well, probably either North or White, but even though that's a long shot, or James Pattinson coming back in for Boxing Day. Provided he's fit and provided something doesn't go wrong, so you got to find a spot for him, though. I mean, if everyone yeah. else is firing, then you, he's not going to slot straight back in, especially on limited match time. Yeah, well, based on his performance, you don't see them dropping Lyon if anywhere other than the Wacker, and they'd, they'd bring him back for the spin option. And um, even with Pattinson and Bird both coming back and playing grade cricket, it'd still only leave them one game in the Shield to be ready for the Wacker and. Especially since, you know, we're up in the series. There's no real... There shouldn't yeah. be any, you know, urgency to get them back like there is for England to get Breslin back. Um, I'd be looking at um, Coulton Isle or Cutting in terms of playing in that wacker test as the fourth fast bowler, especially with Hilfenhouse going down the injury. Although there is obviously Bollinger, who's performing quite well, and we'll talk a little bit about that when we get to the Shield shield review. Um, but, yeah, it's, just, it's not an issue, really. At the moment, yeah. as long as the team keeps winning, I mean, one test isn't exactly a streak. Um, you know, it's no so streak like St Kilda's DVD worthy streak. Um, but you know, we can just keep backing the guys in who are doing well as long as we keep winning, and we should just continue to do that. Cooks, and you talked about Bailey being under pressure, Faulkner possibly taking his spot um, instead of a bowler's spot. Who else do you think might be under pressure in this game that we? Possibly won't see the series out if they fail again. It's probably only really Bailey, but even then, that's really quite not. Uh, that's a long shot because he's a debutant. They'll bide him at least four test matches because Darren Lehman. Well, he's not going to do a deal select decision, which is just uh, you had one bad game, you're out. Someone comes in bad game, you're out, and and unfortunately, also Chris Rogers might be under pressure because. Well, again, it's more media inferring pressure on him when I reckon Darren Lehman probably just says, you're safe, you just need a bat. And all the reason he just needs to rotate the strike more and there's probably the pressure from Rogers solved. I mean, as much as... Why does he come out yeah. the other today and say that he felt his spot was under pressure, especially with people like North and Hughes scoring runs in the shield and that he does need to perform. So, And that's healthy. I mean, you can't... You can't have players think they're secure regardless of what happens. There has to be some sort of healthy pressure. But I agree with you in terms of, you know, giving them some form of security. You're going to have a reasonable chance to prove yourself. You can. That's the sort of that's the sort of conditions that you're probably going to get the best out of a batsman. Where if they show enough, they're going to be safe, even if they don't quite get, you know, the hundreds and the, the high fifties that 
they they need, but there's also that pressure of, well, this guy's performing well on the level below me, I need to do something. It is pretty amazing the last few years how sort of the patience of the cricket following in Australia has fallen away. You think of Rogers, who probably one of our first big batsmen after the, um, the England Ashes, and now he has one sort of bad game where he looks a bit out of sorts, and he's he's sort of on the fringe. It doesn't really take much these days to get you almost, you know, one foot out of the team. Again, I don't think there's been much. I think that's us just looking for, you know... Oh, it's all media. media sco- it's all the media yeah. talking about it. But e- it's, Even then, I don't think it was that there was that much media about it. There was no, oh, Chris Rogers should be dropped for Phil Hughes for the next test sort of thing. It was really him coming out and saying, you know, I've got to score runs, that's my job. If I don't, I'm probably going to be out of the team, which is a reasonable thing to say. And then, well, that's also a beautiful segue leading into everybody's favourite person, Shane Watson, who's seemingly never under pressure. I mean, he has to ball or else he's not in the team. I mean, pure and simple. Yeah. Well, ho- I mean, hopefully he, you know, apparently got through a fair few overs in the, in the uh, net. So hopefully that, that transfers to um, Adelaide. But do, do, you, do we just need him to bowl, roll out a few overs that are tight? Or does he need, especially on a pitch like this, is he going to need to be penetrative, which he just hasn't been for the last couple of years? But, I mean, he did bowl. Didn't you see him hobble up yeah. to the crease and... Lobs 100k mediums down. It was hardly even worth like the effort. What yeah. he bowled. Yeah. Still, but think about Watson's like, how can his bowling be so disciplined and his batting be undisciplined? It just defies all means of logic. Oh, it is Shane Watson. He's the master of the brain explosion with the bat. Oh, just yeah. He didn't, I mean, they, they didn't get him out. He got himself out. Yeah. Both times. Playing that shot just before lunch. And that pull shot from the ball that was around his knees. I mean, seriously. So, our, our number three might be struggling, but England don't actually have a number three at the moment. So, who's going to move up? Will it be Bell? Will it be Root? Will it be the new player coming in, Bairstow, or, or Balance? It'll be well, Root, because Root has the... Well, he's the opening batsman and he's the top order batsman going to Bow, who people says, oh, we'll put him down there, we'll put him at number three. It's like, Bow's a middle order batsman. It's like us putting Michael Clark at number three. It's just, they're your stroke makers. You want them away from the new ball. So it'll I'm be rude, just by common sense. I'm surprised Ian Chappell hasn't written an article about how Bell should move to number three since he's his team best bat, because it seemed like every other week he was writing about, about how Michael Clark should do the same thing. Um, maybe he doesn't want to give any tips to tips to the English, but, yeah, again, Bell scored his runs at number five. He probably should stay there, but there's also a fairly good argument for saying, well, if they're getting to Bell at three for not many, that's heaping heap, large amounts of pressure on him. And... He can, you know, weather so I mean, he he did look pretty comfortable against Johnson. He's probably one of the he's probably the batsman that was able to deal with him best, I'd say, in terms of um facing. He didn't seem as flustered as some of the other batsmen. And having him at three, you know, may protect that lower order, particularly when they are gonna be bringing in a new player. So in the um chairman's game you had Root opening and balance at three. Is that just because Cook wasn't playing, so Root's your next pick opener, or is it maybe suggesting that uh, balance could play at three? It, we, well, I mean, we, we've talked about this. It's very difficult to throw a young batsman in at, 
at number three. I mean, we've done it a couple of times. We did it with Kawaja when he debuted, although that was a dead series, so it's a little bit different. We did it with Kwani last last year. Um, Marsh, having to Marsh, you know, he scored that 100 on debut, but then, um, you know, struggled against India. So it's a really tough place to bring in a new batsman. Um, and I really think they need to go for someone established at three. Gary Balance is probably ahead of the pack now, but they may decide to go with the two spinners and pick a Ben Stokes. Although with Bresnan, you know, being declared fit, well, he's being picked in the squad, which, you know, would suggest he's been declared fit. They may be willing to risk five bowlers with Bresnan replacing Tremlett and uh, bringing in Panasar as well. But again, with Priors, you know, absolutely shocking form with the bat. Suddenly you'd be just down to five, five batsmen, an out-of-form keeper and, you know, five five bowlers of varying degrees of batting skill. Very risky play. Here's the thing. What is the most conservative option out of everything? Because that would be the one the English will take. I think it would be Root going to three and balance at six. Yeah. That's pretty much what you Stokes is too big a risk. Stokes you would only play if they want to play Panasar, like Kip just said. But I think at six with, like he also said, prior out of form, that's just... I, don't, I think that's a step too far. Yeah. They just, they, they just also, need to pick the best batsman. We've, we've talked about this in the past. You need to, you know, pick your best six batsmen. You need to pick your best four bowlers and your best wicket keeper, and that's your team. Okay, yeah. we've talked about this on the. That's been talked ad nauseum on the boards. That's the ideal team, and yeah, it, it's great to have that fifth bowling option. It's great to have batting depth down to you know eight or nine. But at the end of the day, if your top six batsmen can't get the job done which, to be fair, Australia's top six batsmen haven't been able to get the job done for quite a while, then, well, you're not going to be performing very well. That's why we picked Mitchell Johnson at eight, who bowls some part-time lefties. That's it, increasing the batting depth. Yeah. What about the bowling for the English? Like, Do they go for Tremlett, who's who's simply dangerous 125 kilometre per hour, or do they go for a Bresden that could not be entirely fit, which could break down and could resort in Anderson or Broad, having to do what Siddle did last year? So, well, I, I think uh, we, we've talked about how conservative the English are, but I don't see them having named him in the squad now. I don't see them not picking Bresden. Um, I don't think you could take Tremlett into Adelaide the way he was bowling in at the Gabba. He'd have to pick up five or ten k because 130 kilometres an hour on the Adelaide Oval. It's going to be rocketing the fence nearly every time. Quicker than so that. Yeah, exactly. Um, you know, so... I mean, uh, I don't think Tim Bresen is going to be the panacea to all of England's problems, particularly bowling. Um, he, you know, had a great... He had some great performances last time they were out here. Um, in the English summer, he was steady. He was okay. He wasn't winning them any tests. He was just, you know, a good foil to Anderson and Broad. Um, and, yeah, it's, it's just... I think if at his best, he's going to perform better than Tremlett did, which is is a plus. Uh, but, yeah, I, they're probably going to eat my words here. I don't see him being that effective, although he is a hit-the-deck bowler. And at a pitch like Adelaide, you need someone who's going to be able to get everything out of that surface, and he's the type of bowler who could do something. So that's the sort of thing I see. It's got, so, kind of like how Siddle is able to get just that little bit extra out of the pitch because of the way he bowls on that pitch. 
Fair enough. I, I, do, feel we oh, should, I do feel we should have done that in a Yorkshire accent, though, just to add to the flavour with the big words. <laughs> get my get my boycott on, you know. Stickeroo, Bob. That's whatever he says. Um, so what's the next prediction? My, my mother could have played that bowling. <laughs> I can't do boycott. That's terrible. Try to do, um, what's that weird guy who I imagine he wears a monocle? On BBC. Oh, Blowfield <laughs> or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> I thought that was a joke when I first heard it. <laughs> uh, you can you can stream the BBCs out with the BBC on the um, app. So just turn it off for blowers. We're a good fan of uh, pop music. I like that Katy Perry. He's he's a good singer. He in Firework. That was a good record. That yeah, I like the pop music. Well, I have to. I have to bow to your superiority in this in this field. I'm afraid, I'm um, not be- as fully conversant with those things as I as I really should be. Oh, she's nicer. You're probably going on her looks rather than her no, music. no. I like her singing as well. She's good. <laughs> and um, who are your favourites in the pop world at the moment? Oh, Katy Perry. Katy Perry. Mm. Yeah, yeah. That she's tops for me. She's just. Uh, uh, do you want any predictions? Yep. We're happy with that. Alright, um, so obviously the match is going to start Thursday. Uh, your predictions. Um, who's going, what's going to be the result, and who's going to be the best performer on each side? Ooh. I'm going to go for Michael Clark for Australia's best performer, because again, he averages more here than the Gabba and his, well, let's see, double century. Last two times, his last two test matches, he's got two double centuries, so it's positive form for us. And for the English, ooh, uh, da, da, da. Uh, I'm probably going to say Ian Bell. Just stick to the boring old picks. But I reckon, I reckon it'll be a tight Australia win or a draw. Um, I'm going to back Shane Watson in. Um, I think this is the sort of pitch that he'll do all right on. Um, although if it is slower and lower, it probably brings back the LBW, which you know is as we know is his thing. Um, luckily, we have the refresh of the reviews at AB Overs now. The um, which should well, I think we all should agree should be called the Shane Watson rule. Um, for the English, um, much like you with Michael Clark, I don't think he can go past Kevin Peterson. He loves this ground. He scores well at this ground. Um, I think he's going to be their best performer, um, and he did look probably look the best of the English batsmen. In, at the go, he just got out quite silly ways. Um, probably a draw. I don't. I think it's going to be a similar sort of match to you know oh six oh seven, um, the match against the Indians and the match last year against the South Africans with big first inning scores. But without say you know someone of the caliber of a Shane Warne, I don't think either side is going to be able to bowl out the other on that last day to win the match. So I'm going to back a draw. I reserve the right if um, they have shipped in a pitch from the Wacker to change my pick to Australia. Just don't underestimate Steve Smith. He's blonde and bowls leggies. They could have post-traumatic stress disorder. That's it. We'll just we'll just send him out there with a, a cigarette and a and a mobile phone and you know a picture of Liz Hurley at the back and we'll be right. We'll just call him Warney. From now on, Steve Smith's name is now Warney. It's bowling Warney, batting <laughs> Warney. Um. Yeah, it's probably going to be a draw, but I just have this feeling England will, will really hit back hard in this game. I don't want to actually predict they'll win, but 
I think they'll be a lot closer. It'll be way closer in the first test anyway. Um, I reckon Warner will... This might be the series where he becomes consistent. Well, at least I can only hope. He's just this... I mean, he, he attacked as well as he normally does, but his defence looked a bit tighter. He, um, he used his feet much better to Swan. So I'm hoping that he, he keeps that form up. Um, England... Yeah, I was going to go KP as well. He's just, he usually has that one test match where he dominates. I have a feeling it might be this one. Okay, so, and your pick for the match? Result? Oh, I said it was probably going to be a draw. Oh, you did say that, sorry. Yeah. That's me not listening. <laughs> just tune okay. out. That's it. It's not worth listening until Western Australia, <laughs> anyway. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> just, uh, some of you on the boards may have noticed that I posted a thread. Um, where I got people to vote on their best Australian performance from the first test, um, ostensibly to create a big footy um, medal for the season, but really just so I can get an inside running on what the eventual Allen Border medal results will be, and I can clean up with the betting. Um, the five people who received votes, uh, with one vote, Nathan Lyon, Michael Clark, two votes, David Warner with three votes, Brad Haddon with four votes, and of course Mitchell Johns with five votes, who managed to get best on the field from everyone who did participate. I will note that that is the exact order that I put my votes in, so from now on I'm just going to do my votes, and that's how it's going to be counted, because I assume that's how it's going to work for the rest of the series. I just opened the thread and I thought you were just reading reading back your own votes. Was that actually a compilation of everyone's? Or? Yeah, so I went, through, I went through and added it all up, and yeah, it's pretty much the same thing. Yeah. Uh, the only other person who got votes was Ryan Harris, with seven uh, the highest he placed was uh, fourth for people. Um, I feel like a lot of fours and threes. Yeah, I just so feel I like there should be someone saying free votes, C Jod. <laughs> Lacking that. That's it. Yeah. We'll we'll see what we'll see what Andrew's doing um, when it comes to the end of the season. I don't think Footy will start again. He you know and he he loves the limelight. We can get him for the big Footy uh, cricket board awards. I imagine. Best mustache, Mitchell Johnson. Free votes. <laughs> That's it. And he'll drag it out for four hours because he'll delay the like. <laughs> be M, and then they'll go to an ad break, and he'll come back and he'll say Johnson. <laughs> uh, well, there's a few M's in the team, so. That's true. You know, yeah, you could do it. Uh, it feels like a while since we've actually talked about the Sheffield Shield, but at five weeks ago we did our previews and as it turns out most of our predictions have been completely wrong uh five games completed new south wales sits at the top of the table with 18 points followed closely by the surprise pack of the season south australia on 16 points tasmania is next on 10 points followed by western australia with eight points victoria is also on eight points and what i believe is my tip for the um sheffield shield winners queensland are currently on no wins and four points. Um, it's been sort of a topsy-turvy year um, this season compared to last few seasons. Seeing some of the teams that have been languishing around the bottom have finally pulled their act together. Well, Queensland haven't won a game, but they've drawn four, so that's probably why they're stuffing up. They're just not winning anything. Surprise packet is WA actually yeah. winning a game, although also winning a first things point and then lo- losing outright, so that was straight back to form. I think I'd predicted South Australia would uh, be the risers of the season, but I also said Tasmania would slide and they've done okay then mid-table. So we're all completely wrong. Pretty much. Um, 
uh, to be fair, we were basing it a lot off the, you know, the one-day form. So, which, you know, probably proves that we shouldn't have picked someone like a George Bailey based on one-day form. Although then we also shouldn't have picked Mitchell Johnson. So it's a bit, you know, here or there. Um, I think South has just benefited from having a stable top six now. I mean, they've, they've got quite a talented and semi-experienced batting lineup now. I mean, you've got Cleaner and Hughes at the top who are both performing well. You've got the young gun, Travis Head, which we'll probably talk a little bit more about in a minute. Um, and then in the middle order, Cooper, Cooper and Ferguson, who you know both being talented players, but, you know, actually starting to perform a little bit more consistently. Um, both are clearly a good thinker about the game and he's justifying his place at number six and as a bowler, which we'll see again in a minute. Um, and they're bowling. I think we even talked about that at the start. Their bowling looks quite good on paper and they're starting to perform to that potential. Do you reckon on the whole, the Sheffield Shield, like the pitches have become more flatter this season compared to everything else? Because you're looking at the bowling average, they're, they're just higher. They're in the like late 20s and 30s. So, do you reckon Cricket Australia has made the not so much just green tops all around Australia, but now it's a bit well, the top, more. The top four ball, the top four wicket takers so far have been are all spinners. So whether or not this the pitches are starting off a bit more benign, and then eventually. There's a bit more in there for the uh, the bowlers, which would be the spinners in this case. Um, I mean, there's, there could be some merit in that theory. Yeah, I definitely think that because it used to be green types. It used to be the top twenty bowlers were you know pace bowlers, medium pace, fast bowlers, um, and it was really you know hurting both our spin bowling development and our batting development because whatever, regardless of you know batsmen they need to bat on difficult pitches, you know, to to test out their techniques. Not scoring runs at all really hurts them as well. So there needs to be that, you know, that good mixture. Um, and that probably goes back to the idea of the pitches we talked about, where, you know, you're mentioning they've become more homogenous across the, um, across the years. We don't have quite the same differences in the pitches, which we, you know, we saw it, we've seen at Sheffield Shield level and at Test level. Um, I mean, standout performances with that, obviously we talked about the bowlers, the top four being spinners, um, old round arm Steve O'Keefe with 21. Old baseball pitcher Johan Botha, um, Cam Boundary Balls Boyce with 19, and Xavier P. Tizzle's favourite player Doherty with 17. So again, the spinners there. And then obviously the batsmen. Um, we may actually see for the first time in a long time a Sheffield Shield batsman score a thousand runs in the season, although that may depend on how quickly Marcus Norse returns from the tragic death of his, of his brother. Yeah. It was horrible news, especially he's having the season of his life, and that's the last thing he needed to have. You know, the you know the worst thing that can happen to your family, especially at such a young age. Yeah, definitely. Um, especially you know, obviously the loss of the the loss of the family member is the most the biggest issue for him. But I mean, we we talked about how Rogers may be under a little bit of pressure. North's been opening the batting and opening the batting extremely well and it's probably been the biggest reason for WA's improved success this season. And I mean, 593 runs in five matches is, you know, the sort of batting people were putting together in the glory years of the Shield where you had Matthew Hayden and Michael Bevan and Greg Blewett and Darren Lehman and Jamie Cox and all this putting together 1,000, 1,200-run seasons, putting so much pressure on the, on the batsmen. It's a, sort of a throwback to that age. Um, well, then we also got Cameron White, who's averaging fifty, well, fifty-one and a half, 
who's also done well for 164 runs. You got Fire again Phil Hughes, week, yeah. which was good. Phil Hughes, who's played one less match than everyone else, got with seven innings, made 429 runs with high score of 204 at 61.28. So he's doing what pretty much what he he's does always this, done. Does this every year? He goes yeah. back, he just dominates the shield, and they put him back into the test team. People always complaining that oh, I'll give him a couple of seasons, you know. Get you know till he's consistently making runs. It's like he, he he's consistently making runs in shield every time he plays. So he's either gonna you're either gonna leave him in the test team for longer than they have, yeah. or you do leave it for a few years, I suppose. And he's just gonna keep doing the same thing over and over. He's, yeah, he's just... 25 and he's got 23 first class centuries. There's a small part of me that hopes he never gets picked again. That he just plays shield and county cricket for the next 15 years. If you're a South Australia fan, you'd want that because he's. Yeah. He's made no, I just, much better team. I just want someone to score 100 first-class centuries again. I reckon he, if he did that, he'd be the, the guy to do it. But anyway. Yes. Um, but it's also, well, look down, there's also well, Steve Smith, who's in the test team. We've got 317 runs, so that's good for us. He hopefully should be in good form. Then you've got Burgess, who's... 363 runs at 90.75, so... To be fair, a lot of that was in his last innings where he scored that double ton. But... Overall, I mean, if you look at the, look at the list of the batsmen, there's a couple of things that really stand out. Firstly, there's a lot of more centuries being scored. I think there was only about 30 scored um, for the whole season last year, um, and only a couple of multiples. This season, we've already seen, you know, centuries at a far greater level than we were seeing at this point last season. And the other good thing is that, along with a mixture of those experienced batsmen that we're seeing, there's a lot of younger batsmen putting their hand up and, you know, performing consistently well. I mean, we've all talked about Jordan Silk before. He's still scoring hundreds. He's a bit hit and miss at the moment. He scored two hundreds this season, but he's still only averaging under forty. Um, but again, he's a young player. He's going to do that. You've got Travis Head, who's been in absolutely sensational form, but he just can't get past ninety-eight. Like he scored ninety-eight in two innings in a row, as well as a ninety-three, and he just couldn't get over for that hundred. Um, Ryan Carter's is scoring runs. I didn't know he could score. I didn't know he knew what a run was. When but, the butt of every joke for Victorian supporters for the last few years, and he's now averaging 81. Uh, he's just about <laughs> the next in line, Kiefer. I, I know I'm probably biased in saying this, but Sam Whiteman, average of 60, he's got to be on the um, the radar for future keepers. Yeah, he's definitely, you know, scraped up. It sort of depends what they want to go with, with the keeper issue. It's probably going to depend on whether they want, you know, a five-year keeper who's ready now or a 10- or 12-year keeper who may, who may you know, do a little bit worse at the start but will eventually be the better performer. And even then, there's still competition. I mean, we, you've talked about Wyman and he does look quite good. Then you have, obviously, Carter's is an unbelievable form. Travis Head can keep. Um, Peter Hanscom, but especially with Head and Hanscom, I definitely want them to concentrate more on their batting. It doesn't, yeah, especially with Hanscom, I think that his, the keeping affected him last season. He didn't quite come on as much as he should have. Even this season, he's not quite performing well, as well as you would hope, although, again, that's probably symptomatic of, you know, Victoria's up and down form with that. He is batting in a, a tough spot at three as well. Yeah. It's good. They're giving those um, young guys, putting a bit of pressure on them. Like Head's batting at three. Um, as I said, Hanscom's batting at three. Carter's has been up the order. Um, Madison has been performing well. 
I mean, we're probably talking him up as a test. He's probably not quite in discussion as a test batsman as much as he was a couple of months ago. But again, he's still there. Um, there's some good. There's some good batting signs. I mean, we've talked about in the there's the under twenty three thread on the boards, and there's a there's a good young cohort coming through. We haven't talked about Burns or Lynn. Um, Patterson is starting to put together some form for New South Wales. Mitch Marsh probably scored scored a century in the last. Um, last year game. So, yeah, there's a lot of good batting talent coming through. And, you know, if we can ease them in and have them play with, you know, people like Clark and get Smith some more experience so he can be that leadership figure along with maybe maybe a Dave Warner, there's some good hope for some quality Australian batting to come in the next few years. Well, that's probably a good one about bowling. I'm looking at the bowling list. You know, we Dougie, who's got... 17 wickets at an average of 25 with one five wicket haul, so that's good. We've got Chad Sayers, who again has 17 wickets at an average of 30.7 with no five wicket hauls. Let's see what else we've got. We've got Barwood Ahmad, who's got 14 wickets at 34.07. The hero Agar. Probably, probably out of the range for selection. Sorry, Farwood's probably out of the range for. Selection this year, and also Agar, they haven't exactly performed exceptionally well as spinners. And with Lions' um, good form, I don't think we'll see any other spinners picked this uh, season, barring injury. Um, probably the only disappointment with the Shield so far is probably the lack of penetration by a lot of the younger fast bowlers. But again, that that could be symptomatic of the pitches and the change that's been made in them over the last season. So, um, do we think? Do we think? Bollinger is probably next in line, especially now Hilton House is injured. Or do we think someone like a Coulter Nile or a Cutting, you know, being around the one-day team and um, in the case of Cutting being very close to test selection before we'll get picked, say, if they do need a fourth-pass bowler for Perth and Pattinson and Bird aren't ready to go like we suspect. I kind of feel like after that 10-11 Ashes um, where Dougie practically broke down at yeah, in the Adelaide test, his um, papers were stamped. I don't think he'll be back. They'll look for someone a bit younger. Coulter Nile, like I said, probably... I mean, he's been around the squad. We've talked about him quite a bit through the, um, the one-day series. Oh, that's close. That's swung in, and he's got him. Doug Bollinger gets the early breakthrough, and BJ Watling gets the first baller. Well, should he have taken the third run after all? Yeah, uh, this uh, this I think is out. This is this nice and full, pitching on about middle and leg, going on to hit middle and leg. Yep. Well, that about wraps up the show for this evening. Thanks for listening. Um, hopefully, we have a, another exciting discussion Adelaide, and we'll expect to be back for a large episode where we'll both review the Adelaide Test and preview the Perth Test, and hopefully, we'll be able to get it out in time so that it's still relevant. <laughs> uh, until until next until next time, um, be safe and have a good night. See ya.